What up, world? It's Pass First Point Guard and Blazer beat writer Mike Richmond. You're listening to another episode of Locked On Blazers, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, available wherever you get podcasts. Today's episode is the latest edition of Mailbag Monday, answering listeners' submitted questions all episode long. If you're new to Locked On Blazers, we do this every week. If you're an old veteran of Locked On Blazers, we still do this every week. You know that. If you want to get involved, there's two ways to do it. You can tweet at me, at Mike G. Rich on Twitter. You can just send me a question whenever you're thinking of it, or you can wait for Monday mornings around 9 a.m. Pacific time when I send out a tweet soliciting questions. You respond to that tweet, I'll get you in the show. If you're not a Twitter user or just someone who doesn't tweet, you can also email me. The email address is lockedonblazerspod at gmail.com. That's lockedonblazerspod at gmail.com. Send me an email, I'll get you in the show. Those are the two ways to do it. Like I said, we do this every week, off-season, post-season, November, scheduled NBA draft. Mailbag Monday is here to stay. So let us get into it. The first question comes from Patrick Gallagher at pgallagher503 on Twitter who asks, Do we know anything about finances? The Blazers look to be an over-the-cap team with hood, player option, and picking up Ariza's team option, that's Trevor Ariza. Normally, taxpayers' mid-level exception would be around 8 to $10 million. Could it decrease to the point where plans are ruined, say something closer to 5 to $7 million? Okay, so I think that I have explained the Blazers' financial situation in bits and parts sort of all over these, these episodes in disparate disparate far out uh, reaches of, of the lockdown Blazers world. But let's just condense this here. Let's use Patrick's question so we can have it all in one space. You can point to it. You can say, I think on that mailbag episode that came out on October 20th, I think he explained all of the finances pretty well in the first three minutes. So here's how it all works. The bla- the, the salary cap is, is probably not going to dip much lower, but uh, the NBA and NBA PA have delayed talks until October 30th. Basically, th- they agreed to have an extension on notice to, ter- to terminate the CBA, the collective bargaining agreement. So that basically says until October 30th, Neither side will agree to um, to terminate the current CBA. Maybe we can work out a deal. Uh, that's from Adrian Wojnarowski of ESPN reports that. And that seems to be the, uh, um, from other big reporters, that seems to be the plan. Is that, that this CBA is eventually going to have to be reworked, but for right now, they're still negotiating. And what that means is they have to figure out what the salary cap is going to be for next season what the salary cap is going to be for the following season, what they do with that. A portion of this season is very likely to happen with no fans or limited fans. And and a big part of the NBA finances are you buying tickets, butts and seats, and you buying beers and jerseys and all those things in the stadium each night. So that certainly will have an impact, but it's not going to dip drastically low. In fact, most of the reports coming out say that it will be identical to this season's salary cap. So it'll be about million. That leaves the Blazers in an okay position. Like you said, they're going to be a over-the-salary cap team. Even if you remove all of the free agent cap holds, if you, you know, if you you let Jalen Horde and you let uh Hassan Whiteside go, the Blazers would be right at the cap. So if they don't do that and they do pick up Trevor Reese's option, and they do pick up and Rodney Hood picks up his option, and Mario Hazonia picks up his option, those are the big ones right there. Uh Hoods is six million, Hazonia's is two million, and uh, and guaranteeing a Reza's deal, which they'll do right before the first day of free agency, will make his about $13 million, $12.8 million. So 
that would put the Blazers right at the salary cap, right above it. But they will not be a tax team. They're going to be they're going to be clear of the tax line at least at the beginning of free agency, and that's important because if you're at if you're below the tax line, a you don't have to pay the luxury tax, which is important to people who own the team. It's not important to me. Quite frankly, it shouldn't be particularly important to you. It is It is important, though, for these distinctions because if you the mid-level exception is larger if you are a non-tax team. It's about $9.3 million. So the Blazers will have two exceptions going into this offseason, the $9.3 million mid-level exception and the $3.6 million biannual exception. They'll be able to sign, those, sign free agents using those two exceptions. They'll also be able to sign guys to minimum deals and things like that. They have two draft picks, 16 and 46 in this draft. That'll be factored in as well. But to answer your question, no, the salary cap is not going to dip drastically enough, at least it sounds like, unless something very strange happens, and that's not going to happen. But the salary cap is not going to dip drastically enough. So the mid-level exception, that's non-taxpayer mid-level exception, to be clear, is going to be $9.3 million. And that'll make the Blazers relatively competitive for some free agents. Now, a bunch of teams will have the exact same thing, and that, that'll make bidding a little bit different, but it's not going to dip down to what you say, Patrick, in that 5 to $7 million range and kind of take them out of the running for free agents. They're going to be right there, and if they want to use that uh, mid-level exception, they can offer up to a four-year contract starting at that $9.3 million number. I hope that helps. That's the Blazers cap situation. I hope that I hope I got you a good three minutes there that you can follow easily and then share with your friends. If you got any other questions, let's just ask them. It's about to be the offseason. We should get fully clear, and I should be fully clear with how the Blazers' finances work. I am not a CBA expert. There's people who know who understand it way better than me, but I can give you the basics and even a little bit beyond the basics. So if you got questions like Patrick did, shoot them my way. This is the space to do that. That's what Mailbag Monday is for. Speaking of questions, let's get our next one. It comes from Mike Miller at Mike2KRipCity on Twitter who asks, just heard your podcast today. Love the analysis of Sadiq Bay. Thank you, Mike Miller. Uh, if you have not listened, I have begun my draft prospect profile, starting with my number one target for the Blazers, considering their draft slot, Villanova forward Sadiq Bay. Listen to that in your podcast feeds. It's there waiting for you. If you are hearing my voice now, the Sadiq Bay podcast is right there in your feed. Mike continues. Mike Miller continues. I, too, see Portland making this pick if he's available at 16. My question, do you see Bay as an NBA-ready rookie or making it into the Portland rotation? So I don't, I haven't seen Sadiq play, play a single minute of live collegiate basketball. I've watched some YouTube videos. I've read a whole bunch about him. But I didn't watch a Villanova game this year because I don't really watch college basketball. I'm, I'm upfront and clear about that. But um, people who are smarter than me think that Sadiq Bey has a chance to be a early contributor, but I'm just going to guess based on sort of, uh, what I know about rookies and what I've read about him is that day one might be a little too generous. Year one is certainly a possibility. He could be someone who plays and is a positive contributor in his first season. But day one, the Blazers have Trevor Reza and Rodney Hood at those spots. He's going to have to wait his turn. His turn, he might eventually be thrown into the fire or the Blazers might need him or he might earn his way there. But I'm going to say NBA ready from day one, very unlikely for Sadiq Bey in the way that's very unlikely for nearly everyone coming out of college and making that transition to be ready. It's just, it's just unlikely. The safer bet is that if he is able to contribute, it comes later in the season, you know, 30, 40 games into the season, as opposed to day one. Let's come back in the second segment and answer more of your questions. But before we do that, I want to tell y'all about rockauto.com. 
You know rockauto.com. They are the family business that's been serving auto part customers online for 20 years. Go to rockauto.com right now to shop for auto and body parts from the hundreds, hundreds of manufacturers. They've got everything you need from engine control modules to brake parts to tail lamps, motor oil, even new carpet. You name it, they got it. Whether it's for your classic or your daily driver, get everything you need in a few easy clicks delivered directly to your door. The rockauto.com catalog is unique and it's remarkably easy to navigate. You can quickly see all the parts available for your vehicle and choose the brands, those specifications, and the prices you prefer. And best of all, those prices. Because at rockauto.com, they're always reliably low and the same for professionals as they are for the do-it-yourselfers. Why spend up to twice as much for the same parts? You don't have to do that. You can go to rockauto.com right now, see all the parts available for your car or truck. And while you're there, make sure you write Locked On in their How Did You Hear About Us box so they know we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need, rockauto.com. Today's show is also brought to you by Built Go. From those geniuses that make Built Bar, there's Built Go. It's the best workout gel on the market. It is the solution you need to help you break through your wall, be it mental or physical. You can break through it with Go every single day. So this workout gel comes in one and a half ounce packages, easy to take with you, throw it in your back pocket, throw it in your bag. It'll be there when you need it. And it's it's kind of like five hour energy without that same crash feeling. Plus it's natural, so it's better for your body. Or maybe like drinking a monster energy drink with a third of the caffeine and better results. Comes in three delicious flavors. I've tried them all. Peanut butter, honey, chocolate, coconut, or my favorite, chocolate mint. So how does it work so well? It's because it combines energy gel with collagen protein. Collagen protein is fast fast absorbing, so it gets into your system fast, and it's easy on the stomach. It's not going to mess you up. Built Go is also loaded with good stuff to ignite that work so you can break through that wall. Beta alanine, B3, honey, and a kick of caffeine. It's about 100 milligrams of caffeine, a little bit less than your standard cup of coffee. Plus, Built Go kicks in to keep you going. Remember that wall I keep telling you about? This will keep you going so you break through it. It's got B6, B12, a boatload of B12, in fact. 10,000% of your daily percentage. Listen, stuff works, tastes good too. So go get so go get yourself some. Go to builtgo.com and use the promo code LOCKED and you'll get 20% off your next order. That's the promo code LOCKED, L-O-C-K-E-D, for 20% off at builtgo.com. Let's go. All right. Let's keep it rolling with Mailbag Monday. We only got two questions in that first segment because I had to go long in the Blazers' financial situation. We got more coming. Let's get into it. This next one comes from Josh Sargent at Itinerant USA on Twitter who asks, Has Zach had surgery? Any word on recovery? So I, when I saw this question, I said, Yeah, I'm, I'm sure that the Blazers have announced that. Let me just pull up the uh, press release and I'll read you their direct sort of meaningless but specifics on, on when it happened. But In fact, they haven't announced it, and I haven't seen any specific reporting from others in the local media about it happening. Uh, Zach was going to stay in uh, in the bubble till his cortisone shot basically wore off, and and then they could assess 
when they would take the next steps with surgery. And he also told Jason Quick of The Athletic that he expected to be back when the season started. He didn't. He wasn't 100% sure that that ankle would be ready in December, but now the season sounds like it's going to be starting in January and probably mid to late January. He said he'll be back. He'll be ready to go. But curiously, the Blazers have not announced that he had surgery and we haven't heard any word from them. It's not uncommon that they're a little bit weird with injuries. That's kind of how the Blazers do things. It is a little bit weird that they didn't release a formal press release to say, Zach Collins had surgery. Here's the doctor who did it. Here's He expects to be back for the 2021 season. Now, things are a little bit weird just in general with this season. So maybe it's just a timing thing. Um, they're it's an interesting, interesting off season, but I, I do find it a little bit curious. You would assume that Zach has had surgery and he's in, he's in the process just because if he wants to play, that's the timeline, but there is no confirmation of it. And Blazers employee that I know might be listening, send out that press release, homie. The world wants to know, and it's, it's better to provide information than not. Next question comes from Tanner Russ at Tanner Russ seven on Twitter, who asks, are there any players not in the NBA, so like G League, International, NCAA, who could be added to the Blazers roster and make an immediate splash? Tanner, when I read this, the number one name that came up to me was Nikola Mirotic. Nikola Mirotic was a good NBA player, right? Like he was he was a very helpful member of the New Orleans Pelicans. He entered free agency. Everyone thought he's going to make a whole bunch of money. And he's like, nah, I'm going home. Like I'm not home. He's he's not actually from Spain, but he played in the Spanish League and he's returning to Europe. I guess you can't make big money returning to play professional basketball in Montenegro, but Mirjic's back in the Spanish League, back in the ACB League, what is largely considered the second best professional league outside the NBA in the world. And he was the 2020 MVP of the Spanish League. Goes back, he goes from, you know, role player, borderline starter in the NBA, but a very effective shooting, stretchy power forward. Uh, who could play a little bit of small ball five in certain situations to winning the the Spanish league MVP. Hard to argue with his decision. I bet he's making more money and having um, a more chiller lifestyle than being a bench player on the Pelicans. So Nikola Mirotic was the number one choice. He fits a need for the Blazers. He can play four. He can shoot. That helps. Um, he's he's good. Like he's just a really good basketball player. He would help them. The other name that I thought of, and then I had to look up what his deal was, was Jan Vesely. I know Jan Vesely has been just absolutely killing it in EuroLeague. Uh, you might not know that name, but he was the sixth overall pick by the Wizards in 2011. He played three pretty underwhelming seasons in the NBA, but then he went back in 2014 and he's just been a star in Europe. Right now he plays for the Turkish club Fenerbahce in, in EuroLeague, and he's been an all-star for three consecutive seasons. He was most improved player uh, his second season there. He's a baller. Uh, famously on draft night, he said that maybe Blake Griffin is the American Jan Vesely, one of my favorite all-time draft quotes. Um, Jan Vesely is probably better than Blake Griffin right now. Not sure he has any interest in coming back in the NBA, but a power of athletic 4-5 uh, who can score in the post and is really good in transition, that would help the Blazers. Those are my two picks, Nick Lemiritich and Jan Vesely. Next pick comes from Ido. That's at Ido6666 on Twitter who asks, I think the team needs to pick a point guard in the second round. So what do you think about 19-year-old point guard Yam Mater as a second round pick? Ido reminds me in the message they sent that they are from Israel, and Yam Mater is Israeli. So I'll be up front. Never heard of this this person. Never heard of Yam Mater in my life. Looked him up. 
it's like a 6-2 point guard who plays aggressive full court defense, um, an okay shooter, and, and, a, and a, seems like a someone who could be drafted in the second round right in the Blazers' range. Seems ex- absolutely an option for the Blazers. But here's my thinking. If the Blazers sign a second-round pick, if they use their second-round pick and they take that second-round pick, I don't think they need another guard. And in fact, I don't. If they, if you are of the camp that says the Blazers need a, a backup point guard, I don't think adding a teenage backup point guard is the solution for this roster. If if you're me, I think you add your young guys on the wings because I've said this. I said this in my Sadiq Bay draft profile, and I'll say it again here. I think it's easiest to be a a to fake it as a young wing in the NBA than as a young point guard and certainly as a young center. I think I think there's like a myth that bigs take the longest to develop, but I think point guard is the hardest, hardest transition to make in the league. So, yeah, Mater, I'm down with. think he could be an NBA player based on what I read. I read a really nice profile of him on peachtreehoops.com. But I'm not... I, I don't love the fit for the Blazers. Um, if they do end up taking him, I have no, I, I'll have no qualms with it, but I kind of hope that he stays in Europe for a couple of years to get a little more seasoned because they don't need, um, they don't need youth at that spot. If they need help from the point guard spot, they need it to be a vet. Speaking of vets, Richard from Gmail says, I keep hearing how the Blazers should pick up a backup vet point guard. It's like, it's like what's what we're talking about, Richard, go on. Richard continues, one guy who I think could potentially be a decent pick is Jeremy Lin. I heard he's trying to make an NBA comeback. And given the fact that if we bring in another guard, they really won't play, will only play 10 to 14 minutes a game. I think Lin would be a vet who would be okay with that. Richard, you are not alone. Mike Miller at Mike2KRipCity from the uh, from the first segment asks a second question, says, my question this week is with Jeremy Lin declaring he wants to make an NBA return, do the Portland Trailblazers take a chance on Lin as a backup point guard? Would Lin even take it knowing Lillard plays a high percentage of the, of the point guard minutes? So I don't think Jeremy Lin is going to be particularly choosy about anything about his like role as long as he has a role. I don't think he'll come back to the NBA to do what he did most recently with the Toronto Raptors where he won a championship ring while watching. I think he wants to play and part of coming back to the league would be playing, right? It would be a guaranteed role. If the Blazers say, hey, cool, we've got 10 minutes for you every single game on the bench, but you're a backup, I think he would consider it. That said, I don't love I don't love the Jeremy Lin fit. Uh, I don't hate it, but I, I I would rather have more of a table setting point guard than Jeremy Lin, who's like a score first point guard. At his at his peak, Jeremy Lin incredible backup point guard, awesome on those Houston teams. Um, obviously, his peak may have been those eleven games with the Knicks, but he was even after he signed with the Rockets, he was a really good backup point guard. But he's a he's a score first guard, and the Blazers kind of have that in CJ McCollum, who's way better than Jeremy Lin. So. I'm not super against it. I don't think Lynn would balk at a specific role where they said, hey, you got 10 to 12 minutes every night, but you have 10 to 12 minutes every night. I just don't love a score first PG because I think the if the Blazers do sign a backup point guard to handle some like ball handling and creation duties, I'd rather them be more of a more of a table setter. Um, so I'm not super against Lynn. I just, I don't love it. Uh, this isn't a case of wrong tree doggy. This is just a case of maybe me not being super hyped. Okay, let's come back in the third segment, close out the show with more of your questions. Still a pass for his point guard. Still Mike Richmond. Still listening to Locked On Blazers, and we're still rolling through Mailbag Monday. This next question comes from Louis Olenek. That's at Louis R.S. Olenek on Twitter, who asks, 
which unheralded but useful role player in the 99-2000, from the 99-2000 squad do you think could most help the team if they were all in their prime? The, the choices are Greg Anthony, Stacey Ogman, and Detlef Schrempf. So I think this is a little bit unfair because Detlef Schrempf, when he signed with the Blazers, was 37 years old. Or when he came to the Blazers, he was 37 years old. Stacey Ogman was probably in his prime with the Blazers, right? Like he probably actually had his real physical prime with the Blazers. And Greg Anthony, uh, he, he's not under consideration. Greg Anthony, cool, but um, you, it's between the other two dudes. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to keep it real with you. I'm not picking. I'm not picking Mr. Anthony, even if his son was a Tar Heel. Go Heels. Uh, so, I think it's a little bit unfair. Obviously, uh, maybe not obviously. Stacey Ogman's best statistical seasons came earlier in his career uh, with the Atlanta Hawks, but I think his his physical prime a little bit later in his career. That sort of. 27 to 30 range until you start going downhill. He played with the Blazers on those teams, right? Like he was 31 on the 99-2000 team that you mentioned. And he was good. Like Stacey Ogman was way better. For my money, Stacey Ogman, a versatile defender on the wing who could get it done in a lot of ways, was better than Detlef Schrempf ever was in a Blazer uniform. But if I'm picking peak Give me Detlef Schrempf. Give me 1994-1995 Detlef Schrempf, the absolute peak of my man's career. He plays, I guess he played small forward then, but I, I'm going to tell y'all, he's a power forward in the modern NBA. He's kind of a slow 6'10 gunner. But in the 94-95 season, age 32, Schrempf made his second all-star team, averaged 19.2 points per game, and shot 51 point percent from the three-point line now it was another era so shrimp only took 183s he'd probably take about 330 maybe 300 if he was in the league now but a four man who shoots who makes half his three-pointers yeah, that's who the Blazers need is Detlef Schrempf. Stacey Ogman, close second because of the versatile defense and the athleticism. Greg Anthony, a distant third because I don't even know if I'm on board with the Blazers needing another point guard. This next question comes from Dr. Jeff from Gmail who asks, given what has gone down with the Houston Rockets, would the Blazers and Rockets consider a Zach Collins and a first for Robert Covington trade? We get a legitimate wing, Rockets get a big to get more traditional, and they get a draft pick, which they need to rebuild. Dr. Jeff sent a follow-up saying, hey, the money doesn't work, but you could do this and that. The money's not going to work, period. Um, not just for those two players. Robert Covington makes $12 million. Collins makes uh, $5.4 million. The Blazers are going to be a, likely in a, slightly above the salary cap team, which means the, the salaries would need to match or be within 125% of one another. Uh, that ain't going to happen. But let's just ignore the finances for a while. Would would the Rockets consider that? I kind of think no in the near term because I think if the Rockets, um, mostly maybe because they're cheap, but also because they're prioritizing continuity. Like if we ignore that, maybe it's just Tillman Fertitta being cheap and we just say like they promoted from within. They promoted a, a, G, a GM, an assistant GM who worked under the previous regime. So they're not necessarily blowing it up. They're working with front office guys who built this this unique roster. Yes, that's a roster that doesn't have a center. And yes, that's a team that doesn't have, that controls something like two of their next seven first round picks. So a first round pick would certainly be appealing to a team like this. But I think the teardown for the Rockets comes next season. I think they're going to run it back one year and then tear it down in the future. Covington, um, 
has two years left on his deal. So maybe we'll revisit this after this season. Uh, I, I think you're in the right ballpark, but I'm not sure that the Rockets do that exactly. And just as like sort of a fun measurement, I went to NBATrade.com and they've got a, they've got a trade machine on there. And I just, I plugged this trade in operating under the assumption that the Blades would be a below the cap team so that they could take on this imbalanced trade. But regardless of the money stuff, <laughs> this is great. Uh, they project that a swap for Zach Collins and Robert Covington would increase the Blazers by 18 wins and decrease the Rockets total by 18 wins. The Rockets would lose 18 more games. The Blazers would win 18 more games with this swap. Man, Covington does seem like the type of player the Blazers need. A guy who's a three and a four versatile defender can guard four different spots. I mean, boy, he would help. I think you're on the right track, Dr. Jeff, but I'm not sure the Rockets... I'm not sure the Rockets want an expiring rookie deal um, and a first-round pick for Covington right now. In the future, that might be exactly what they want. Next question comes from Skozers at Gmail who says, I feel like there hasn't been enough talk about how valuable a healthy Rodney Hood hoodie here and available Trevor Reza can be for this team at the wing position. If we also see a pretty significant step forward from Nas, are we good at the wing spot? So I want to just point out that Nazir Little played very, 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 very few minutes at small forward. Basically, I think like under under 40, and those were only minutes next to Carmelo Anthony when the team was super strapped and um, Terry Stott still hated Mario Azonia. I do think Rodney Hood and Trevor Reza represent a significant upgrade over having basically zero NBA wings to two legitimate NBA wings. The difference when they were in the bubble where they had Carmelo Anthony and Gary Trent Jr. playing at those spots to having the length of Ariza, the shooting of Hood. However, the I'm not going to go as far as say the Blazers are good at the wing spot. I still think that's a priority for me. For me. I know that a lot of people don't agree, but for me, for your boy Mike Richmond, upgrading the wing is a much higher priority than adding a backup point guard. I don't know how easy that is to do. In fact, I don't even think there's a good way to do it other than maybe overpaying Derek Jones Jr. or something to that effect. But let's talk a little bit about Nazir Little because Taylor from Gmail asks, just heard your take on Sadiq Bey. Another person referencing the Sadiq Bey draft profile that's waiting in your feeds right now. If multiple listeners are sending me emails and tweets about it, maybe you should listen to Sadiq Bey available in your feeds right now. However, Taylor continues, does Nazir Little not check some of those boxes? He can guard threes and fours, is super athletic, and it remains to be shown if he can shoot like Bay, but I don't think he's Al Farouk either. Thoughts? Yeah, here's the thing. Nazir Little is a worse three-point shooter than Al Farouk Aminu. He's not Al Farouk Aminu because he's not as good a defender, he's not as good a rebounder, he's not as good a shooter. Nazir Little may turn into an NBA player. He may turn into a really solid role player. He is a dominant athlete. He is a better athlete than than every dude in the gym some nights. That's how athletic he is. But he shot 27% from three in college. He shot under 30% from three in the NBA. Now, it would have been really nice to see what he could do in the bubble. I wish that he hadn't had the concussion. I wish that he hadn't fainted and had some sort of pretty scary kind of uh, head trauma stuff. So we could have seen him play. I think he would have played. I think he would have got his chance to guard LeBron James in the playoffs. That's a pretty good proving ground, right? But I've watched every minute of basketball that Nazir Little has played since he left high school. And I am not a believer 
that he's going to turn into an elite shooter. I see him as a high-energy rebound, run the four, run the floor power forward. I don't know if Sadiq Bey is any better than that. I haven't watched a single minute of him. I've watched some YouTube clips and I've read a lot about him and I trust other people's evaluations. And people were higher on Nazir Little when he was a year younger than Sadiq Bey than they ever were on Bey. Nazir Little was a can't-miss prospect at 17 in the way that Bey wasn't. But I, I know what I've seen. And I just don't think, for me, while I think Little projects as a guy who can guard multiple spots and can be effective, I don't think next year he's going to morph into a guy who can really shoot. And I think Sadiq Bey, a guy who shot 45% from three in college on five and a half attempts a game, has real certifiable statistics you can point to to say this dude can shoot when Nazir Little has like a nice story in The Athletic about how he added more arc to his shot. Go Tar Heels. Next question comes from Dame Jr.'s burner account. It's at Rose City Blazer on Twitter, who sent me a series of detailed tweets I will read to you now. Dame Jr.'s burner says, You've said you don't think Hassan Whiteside will be back, and your reasons make sense and are valid, but to me, there's two things that make me think he will be back. One, Neil Olshay was very clear at the deadline that Whiteside was his guy, and two, Whiteside seems to love it here. I'm guessing you'll say that Olshay was only saying that because at the time, Whiteside was their only option, and that doesn't necessarily mean he wants to keep him around. Ding, 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 ding. Even taking that into consideration or into account, I still think that between the market this offseason and the team environment in Portland, Whiteside will be very willing to take a pay cut and a reduced role to stay here. Carmelo wants to stay, and I think everyone on the team loves him, so I really don't see him signing elsewhere. Ariza will probably be more helpful than any wing defender we can reasonably acquire in free agency, so I think he'll be back as well. Whiteside will probably cost us between 6 and $9 million a year. Feel free to correct me if I'm wrong. I'm no expert on this. Melo will likely make the vet minimum, $2.7 million, and Ariza will be the 12 at 12.8 million yeah Reese's contract's fixed y'all that's what he's making I guess my question is that if this happens as I project what will our free agent options be I'm guessing this would seriously limit our options so then in your opinion through the draft or otherwise how does this team enter the next season with a roster you believe capable of being a top three seed that contends for a title listen on the white side stuff of course, after not trading Hassan Whiteside, Neil is going to say that he's his guy. I have never in my time around the team see Damian Lillard be as frustrated on the court with a player as he was openly with Hassan Whiteside in December. Openly mad at him on the court. I'm not, this isn't even some behind the scenes shit. I'm just talking about watching the game, watching Damian Lord's body language and yelling at Hassan Whiteside. I've never seen him do that to another player. That does not scream to me, dude, you're going to bring back. I do think you're correct that his market will be super depressed. I don't think there's going to be a big market for centers. I don't think there's going to be a team willing to pony up a whole bunch of money. Maybe the Knicks will do it. They always do weird stuff. They've got salary cap room. But I can't see him coming back for $6 bucks in a reduced role. That just seems very unlikely to me. Someone is going to pay him some amount of money to have, a, to have a starting role or a similar backup role or compete for a starting role in a way that he is not. You are Nurk's backup. I just don't think that's very likely. But regardless, let's follow your, your logic. Hassan Whiteside's back. Carmelo's back. Trevor Rees is back. Trevor Rees is back anyways. He's not. The Blazers aren't declining his money, and he's not making any more any money anywhere else. But if they do give uh, Whiteside this contract of $9 bucks, that's the mid-level exception. You have used your upgrade on Hassan Whiteside. You saw what he can bring. 
is that really what you want to do? I just think there's better places to to make your money out there. And a rookie and a couple minimums, that team, there is no way to make that team a contender. I'm not sure there's any way to make this Blazers team a top three contender, top three seed in the West and contender. They may very well finish third in the West. They could be a really, really, really good regular season team if Nurk is healthy and Zach is healthy and the Wings stay healthy and they get a first-round pick who pops and Nazir Little proves me wrong and he comes back and replays the audio from my last answer and says, you're an idiot, go Tar Heels. But I don't think there's a scenario in which you give Hassan Whiteside the mid-level exception and you're left with a biannual exception and minimum contracts and you create a team that is has championship equity. I don't think it's possible. I think your scenario is relatively likely to happen, Dame, Dame Jr.'s burner. I think you laid out a very reasonable scenario that very that could happen. But if that scenario happens, you haven't created a championship team and there isn't a draft pick that I know of that changes this team's prospects from really good Western Conference regular season team, competes for the for, for home court advantage to better than the Lakers. There's just, that's it. that is not how this goes down. The Blazers' path forward to success is simple. The young guys improve. Amphrey Simons takes that step forward. Zach Collins takes a big step forward. Yusuf Nurkic continues to get better. Gary Trent Jr. is, is as good as he was in the bubble and better. Their path forward to championship caliber and exceeding my pessimism is the young guys pop. I don't think you do it... I can't see, considering their financial situation, considering the free agent crop, considering the trades they could really construct, there is no path forward that says, add this dude off the street and you're a championship team. There are ways to improve the roster, but their way to get a slice of championship pie happens with guys who are already on the roster getting significantly better. That's not outrageous, but it ain't easy. The Blazers' path forward... This offseason is important. Don't screw it up. But if they're going to be the team that many of you dream of them being, holding a Larry O'Brien trophy, scheduling a parade down Broadway, it happens because the guys that they've already got take big steps. This offseason is important, but it is not the thing that changes their fate. And with that, I send you on your way. We do Mailbag Monday each and every week, like I mentioned at the top of the show. If you want to get involved, tweet at me at Mike G. Rich or email me LockedOnBlazersPod at gmail.com. Both of those things are in the episode description, so if you forgot them, just click on your podcast feed and read it. You'll, you'll see it right there waiting for you. we got more draft profiles coming this week, more players the Blazers could select in the draft that could help them chase that championship. So check your feed for more draft profiles this week. We'll run it back. Mailbag Monday's coming back next week. Tell your friends about this podcast. You can get it wherever they already get podcasts. Just search Locked On Blazers. We'll be there waiting for you. Appreciate you listening. Talk to you soon.